Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and calls the WCW hotline on one of the most important eras of wrestling history. I am your host, Dave, and this episode is surprisingly a good one. We are looking at Spring Stampede 1997. I'd like to take a moment to thank our listeners that voted on our recent Twitter poll. Thanks to you, we will be doing an episode on Canadian Stampede when it comes up in our timeline as a special bonus, a little bit of a break from WCW, see what else was going on in that era. Of course, Hogan couldn't have taken over without his outsiders, just like I can't undertake these projects without my co-hosts. First, Fergus Looney, how are you doing? I'm good, Dave. I'm doing good. This is uh, an interesting pay-per-view, let's call it that. I'm not sure I'm ready to say good, but we'll go with interesting. Well, my bar's set all the way down low since uh, a, a few of the last ones, so maybe that's why I'm calling it good. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll get into it soon. And of course, my other co-host, Connor O'Donnell. How are you keeping? Oh, I'm all right, Dave. Yeah, I mean, no Piper, no Hogan. Can't get better than that, right? Yeah, a- actual talented and younger wrestlers given a chance to wrestle. That's a surprise, right? It is. And I, yes, I am still drinking beer. So this podcast, again, is brought to you by 312. <laughs> I still have flashbacks from Sold Out. I still haven't gotten over, <laughs> over that one yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm back to drinking now as well. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I'm excited for Canadian Stampede. I've never seen the show somehow. Yeah, same. Same. And uh, we, we thought when we put up the vote, maybe something else would win. But Canadian Stampede, apparently a bit of an underrated show. And I can't, I can't wait to see it myself. Can't wait to not watch WCW. Yeah, the fact that we get to watch a WWF pay-per-view and it's apparently not crap. Not many of them. We get to we get to cherry pick. We're gonna make them look very good by comparison, probably. <laughs> but a lot happened in the the weeks you missed. We're gonna throw it over to Connor for the Nitro recap. We are live chronicling the past month of WCW Monday Nitro. In our number one of the podcast, we begin with one of the most iconic moments in the history of our sport. Prince Iakea fucking main evented the March 24th episode (laughs) of Nitro against Hall of Famer Macho Man Randy Savage for the television title. Oh. So in kayfabe, the NWO is utilizing the stipulation of on-demand title shots following their victory at Uncensored. Makes sense. So in conquest for all their title belts, they figured they'd go after the rookie that has been squeaking by in his title matches. So as a result, the match ends with a DQ finish, DDP interferes, and the NWO adds to the spray paint count, totaling up to 27 now. I never thought I'd see Prince Ikea on the list, but here we are. And Randy Savage sprays the number zero on DDP, showing him who's the real icon. Brother, 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 brother. <laughs> so I I apologize for my mistake on the last episode. I was confused with Bischoff being suspended. I've guessed they've cleared it up more this month, although Bischoff keeps showing up on Nitro, which is odd. Also, his name is on the ending credits of the show. So I'm, I'm puzzled, guys. Yeah, it's... I, I guess uh, cohesion isn't something we're always looking at when it comes to the Nitros. The Nitros and the pay-per-views as well tend to contradict themselves, and we'll see a, a couple of examples of that on this week's episode. Just weird, trying to relate it to like everyday terms. Like If I was suspended from school, I wouldn't show up like to school, or I wouldn't come to the playground at recess to like yeah. smoke with my buddies or anything. I would mm. just stay home, play some video games. Yep. but Go do something else. Yeah. yeah. For Bischoff, I guess it's whatever it was, fly fishing, karate, or... 
Riding it's motorcycles? Motorcycles and being a creep. Is <laughs> yeah, he's he's hosting beauty pageants, no doubt, somewhere. Ugh. Don't remind me. So let's get to the big storyline going into the show. It's dissension in the NWO. So in real life, Scott Hall has entered rehab and unfortunately no shows the pay-per-view, even though he has been advertised for the show. And talking with Dave, I was shocked his problems occurred this early in his WCW run. Yeah, I didn't know at all. I, I thought it was a, a while away. And then when that happened, I'm like, does he go now? And then Gus was reminding me of a couple things he does in the future. So, yeah, he, he hangs around for a while. But I did not know it started this early, which is tr- truly sad. So with Scott Hall absent for the past month, along with Hogan and Rodman in Chicago for the premiere of Double Team, the go-home show of Nitro, Kevin Nash, takes over the commentator booth and decides to shoot a State of the Union address for the NWO. You know, the president has a State of the Union address every couple months. It's time the NWO had a State of the Union address. Only difference is I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know what the hell's going on with the NWO right now. I'll tell you one thing, Kevin Nash and Six are here, and Scott Hall, people are wondering where Scott Hall is. Scott Hall's taking care of business, more important than professional wrestling right now. Now, while Bischoff, Hogan, DiBiase, Vincent are all up there at Rodman's little opening day movie shenanigans, we're here taking care of business. So you boys in Chicago, if you're watching, you better get focused. Because I'll tell you something right now. I'm getting pissed off. I'm getting tired of sitting around having you guys take my time. I'll tell you right now, you don't want to get me mad. Because I'm one person in this business that can stand alone. Is this thing even working? I don't even know. WCW. Go figure. I'll tell you something right now. Steiner Brothers, big win tonight. Who cares? I'll tell you one thing, in Tupelo, Mississippi, Nash will be there. Whether Scott's there with me or not, it doesn't really matter. I'll be there. I'll take you on alone. And all you Napoleons back there, and you know who I'm talking about, all you guys that can't get on the adult rides because you don't make that height requirement, the only reason you people breathe is because I allow it. Yeah, I'll smash that camera. I'll tell you right now, as long as I got breath in my lungs, I'll fight WCW by myself. So Nash runs down the NWO members for not showing up, says he's the one guy you don't want to upset because he can stand alone and is not afraid to take on WCW by himself. This is a rare moment to have a Nash promo at the end of a Nitro. I was not expecting this. I didn't think it had an in him to deliver a promo of this caliber either without catchphrases, pop culture references, and I don't know, looking back, probably poor taste incorporating Scott Hall's absence in an angle, although it does get much worse in 1998, so can't Mm. wait to cover that one. Uh, But I actually thought this was an awesome promo, playing the seeds for the Wolfpack later on. What do you guys think? He's very serious, which you don't see him do very much so far since the NBL was formed. Like you said, he likes his catchphrases and being very laid back. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, it's very blurred. There is a lot of uh, mentions of perhaps real life dripping into the promo work, which is quite interesting about it in particular. If Six hadn't been part of it, it would probably be one of the best promos I've ever watched. <laughs> My favorite is he goes, ooh, Rodman, ooh. <laughs> but he is part of it. 
and he like sticks out like a sore thumb and kind of takes some of it away. Yeah, I have to have to agree with that. I thought, wow, this is really cool. Like, I don't know. I genuinely don't know if the person Kevin Nash is pissed off or not because it is a lot of real life stuff. I like him saying, you know, he's not admitting what is wrong with a hall, but he's saying he is real. He has more important things than wrestling to deal with, and I think that's a really cool line. And you can see some genuine anger and. As we said, some of the best promos in history, blurred lines. Just like every best wrestling character of all time, it's what you actually think amped up by a thousand. And Stupid Six, it's like Kevin Nash brought his son and put him in a (laughs) high chair next to him. And the son's just like mimicking everything he does. And then even when he's sitting still, he's like fidgeting with his headphones. He's like, oh, why isn't this working? We don't care, Six. We don't need to hear from you. (laughs) Just sit there. And then at the end of the promo, both of them pick up a chair. And Hall is about to throw it into the crowd, realizes he shouldn't, and throws it into some empty space. But you, Six you mean, just doesn't... You mean Kevin Nash. Oh, sorry, Nash. <laughs> I was like, why has Scott Hall just appeared? Okay. He's coming out of nowhere! <laughs> He's in one of those gowns from rehab. No. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. no! <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the promo, Nash picks up his chair in anger, which I think is a nice, nice touch. But Six picks it up as well and doesn't really know what to do. Nash looks out over the crowd and knows he can't throw it that way. He might hurt someone, so has to throw it towards the camera, and it's a bit messy. But Six just never knows what to do and just keeps holding the chair. <laughs> I think he just puts it back down at the end. He's just a complete disaster. Sucks every ounce of cool out of the angle. I, I have a question for you guys. Do you think when he says, uh, references the Napoleons in the back, do you think he just means the Cruiserweights or also other people? I think other people too. Yeah, so do I. I. I don't know the honest answer because I didn't look it up to kind of dig into it. But Yeah, that's the one line that kind of stands out. It's out of yeah. place a little bit. I know that Nash takes a disliking to the quote-unquote vanilla midgets later on in his career. But I don't see at this stage why he'd be too angry at the cruiserweights or why there'd be any beef there. As far as I know, timeline-wise, it isn't until a bit later when that starts to developing, when they get more kind of, I guess, disrespected. Now that yeah. I think about it, I think it has something to do with uh, Kevin Sullivan. I know yeah, him and- Kevin Sullivan is who comes to my head because yes. there's a definite card thing going on because obviously Nash is on top and he makes that mention. He's like, you guys should shut up like while I actually make all the money for you, essentially. You, you guys jogged my memory. So I think what the arguments were, and this is all just like rumor crap that who knows if it's, if it's true or not. That there's just a lot of arguments between the two that Nash, of course, wanted to be booked a little stronger as the outsiders uh, during the Nitros. This isn't like exactly what we've seen. So certain things that we just ha- that you guys haven't seen. So I, I agree with Nash a little bit on, on certain fronts. And that's kind of what the arguments have been. And from the rumors, it's Kevin Sullivan hasn't been the uh, nicest guy to work with. No, there's a lot of people but besides the whole, you know, radicals kind of thing, which is a complete other situation. Apparently, he's not the easiest guy to work with. Saying that, I don't think Kev is the easiest guy to work with, if you've heard some of the stories about him. I didn't know there was this early in the Outsiders Rondo. It was already becoming this clickish. Same. But yeah, I, I agree completely, Dave, that him ter- him amping up his personality, and it's not just what he says, it's how he looks. He looks really, really angry. Yeah. A moment that I did not know existed uh, in our timeline, so I'm glad. Uh, uh, good job, Nash. I, we, we've shit on you a bunch of times, but I'll, I'll give you the golf clap for this one. <laughs> yeah, this was great. What, one small thing I'd like to add. We, we say he's aloof and he tries to be funny and pop culture all the time. I think that adds to it because when he's mad, you pay attention because he's never been mad before. So I, I think that is something that adds to it a bit. Agreed. 
All right, well, as tradition, we end with the Sting update. Only one appearance this time. He repelled from the rafters after WCW stood tall in the ring. NWO slowly escaped through the entrance ramp. Hogan was visibly upset with Sting pointing the bat at him. Good job, Sting. Another well-earned paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are out of time on this edition of the Nitro Recap, so let's jump straight into Spring Stampede 1997. WCW Spring Stampede. The streets will be clear when Diamond Dallas Page calls out Randy Savage. Don't forget to bring your little bimbo Liz. What'd you say? Other villains of the NWO will take it to the mat with the Steiner Brothers. It's gonna be the Steiner Brothers' revenge! Medusa says there'll be a new sheriff in town when she takes out Akira Hokuto for the WCW Women's World Title. Prince IOK will attempt to brand Lord Stephen a loser in a TV title match. Then all the gold is up for grabs when champion Dean Malenko I'm giving you an opportunity has a standoff with horseman Chris Benoit to show up and prove yourself for the WCW US title. And in the final showdown, the four-corner match will have Lex Luger, the Giant, and Harlem Heat gunning for a chance at bringing home the WCW World title from Hollywood Hogan. The rumbling is WCW Spring Stampede. How, how much do you guys love the kind of slightly Western voiceover for the, that package? <laughs> just ever so western not not completely I, I loved it and i love the whole kind of the whole kind of setup they have it's corny kind of spaghetti western town i think it looks pretty great again like halloween havoc and stuff these are the kind of sets i love from wcw yeah it re- i mean it really stands out because the past couple shows that we've had they, they were so bland i think it was Super Bowl. I can't even remember what the set looked like. This one at least has a distinct feel, so I love it. I I, I wish they could have kind of hammed it up even a little bit more. The the, the promo voice that could have used a little bit more Canyonero type voice. Canyonero. Canyonero. I uh, yeah. I like you like you guys. I enjoyed it. I I like when there's goofy wrestling sets because it's entertainment. You're there to stand out, make a big deal out of something. And we get rubber sharks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like like having some shitty ramp with like a couple of lights isn't going to do anything. But if you have a cow on your your stage, I'm going to remember this. And I'm going to remember it in the future a lot better than I am anything else. (laughs) You got that booker's cows are over. (laughs) <laughs> exactly i i also thought it was better because uh this time you didn't open with a promo in alcatraz so i was i was feeling a lot more positive about the show from the outset the one thing i was very disappointed with, with this motif was when we got Hogwild, we got dusty basically in assless chaps but the guys did not ham it up at all the only sign that it's a western set for the commentators when we throw it over to them is a brain has the bolo tie yeah. I think it's brain has it, yeah. So no flamboyant cowboy hats, no no jackets, no spurs. Come on, guys. So they do the normal spiel kind of before it starts. They break down some of the matches, the four-corner match. They break down the macho and page kind of uh, feud and how important that is. And they talk about uh, stipulations kind of to the tag team match where Kev, because Hall isn't there, has to be alone and he has demands. They they tell us that he has demands and we're going to get interviews with him later in the night. We got our first match and of course everyone's favorite opener, Rey Mysterio versus Ultimate Dragon. This is the third time we're going to cover this match already 
in the podcast. We had them in World War Three and in Hogwild. They're a match apiece. Unfortunately, though, the best member of this feud isn't here. Sonny Ono does not come out with a dragon. Very disappointed. Yeah, maybe they're trying to make it more of a face-face type matchup. They've, Sonny was I guess, too focused on the women's match. Yeah, they have a reasonable cover for why he's not there. He has to take care of his other wrestler that he's in charge of. But it doesn't make any sense, I don't think, for him not to be there other than how what you're suggesting, Connor. Yeah, maybe they felt he was overused in previous pay-per-views. Which I, of course, don't think because I love Sonny Ono, but I could see it as an excuse. We got told by the commentators that Six is still the champ and this is just possibly a number one contender match it's kind of alluded to. We got Mike Tanay, of course, out because this is a Cruiserweight match. And Tanay straight away makes the match feel important by telling us Dragons and Ray's pay-per-view history and this is the rubber match and it's so important. Brain then, of course, takes all the importance away by telling us of the rumor at the time that Ray was in a relationship with Jennifer Aniston. I did not <laughs> know this was a thing. <laughs> yes. uh, so, such a carny thing that WCW did. Where, they, where the, would they get something like that from? Uh, apparently, I looked this up and this rumor was not was true. The National Enquirer reported on this. Obviously, someone in WCW leaked it. But I thought, you know, sometimes they say things like this and they're just lying. Just the way they're telling you that the wrestlers are partying with Super Bowl winners and stuff like that. It's just not actually happening. But this was an actual rumor that circulated. And Ray, at the time, was married, as far as I know. And he said, like, he showed his wife. He bought And also he, like, 12. Bought, so, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he bought, like, a National Enquirer, apparently, like, the first one on the stand. And he just showed his wife. And, like, what, he's like, what the hell is this? Just this random rumor plucked out of nowhere. So really, strange. Really weird. So, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to point out that... Uh, Rey Mysterio getting into the theme of the pay-per-view and he seems to be dressed in the colors of a cow uh, for, the, for the night itself. Yeah, it's been a weird storytelling though. Dragon is, again, like it seems like he's being booked as a face too because I think it's Tanay that mentions that like he got rejected by New Japan so then he traveled to Mexico to kind of get his break. So it's this weird kind of storytelling buildup that's like, oh, he's met a lot of diversity. I thought he met Rey Mysterio at first but then I rewound it. It's like, no, he's talking about Dragon. Yeah, this is, this is the second time they've kind of spun the story about Dragon going out by himself and conquering the world, essentially, making him feel like a big deal. They've kind of booked him like a big deal so far, so it does seem likely that he might go on a face turn at some stage in the near future. Have not looked into his future yet. We got a pretty s- simple opening kind of combination by the boat guys grappling. That's put to a quick end by a combination kick by Dragon. Man, his kicks are stiff. I've been noticing it more and more since the Dean matches. He absolutely waffles Ray in the back. A couple more kicks before Ray gets to his feet. Love it. Love it. Harder the better. <laughs> I have numerous notes. I'm just like, is Ray dead? Is Ray, yeah. <laughs> Ray takes some kickings in this match. And you can tell because none of them, sometimes after those kind of spots, the guys stay sitting up and they just like clinch their fists and like, oh, that's so painful. The second Dragon kicks one of them, they flop straight down onto their back so he can't kick them again. It's, it's insane. He's just absolutely rimming these people. I don't know what to call this move, so maybe you guys can help me. But you know, the spinning rack crucifix backbreaker is what I have. <laughs> yeah, I have a... tilt the world crucifix into backbreaker. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good so, description. I don't think you're far off. Yeah, so we get the really nice crucifix tilt the world backbreaker. Always looks fantastic on Ray. After that, he hits Ray with a nice power bomb, picks him up to go for a second one, but instead guillotines him on the top rope and I thought that sequence looked awesome probably one of my favorite moves of the match yeah probably one of my favorite moves of the night to be honest 
for sure. And again, everything that's done on Ray looks fantastic. Is it okay for me to still call the sleeper hold finisher theft? I think I've said on past episodes, at least Piper is not on this show. <laughs> on the card, yeah. And I am okay with it because they tried to tell a story with it. Yeah, we keep going back to Ray trying to get ahead of steam, do his baby face comeback, Dragon putting it straight down with a sleeper. We also get a very nice uh, coast-to-coast running powerbomb by Dragon in this match. It, it's, a, it's a Liger bomb, Dave, and they, they go out of their way to call it a Liger bomb, so you should Liger too. bomb. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call I, it I call a Liger it, bomb. I call it a D'Lo Brown bomb. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Real deal now. <laughs> And then he gets hit by a sick jumping tombstone. That's three finishers in a row. That's like (laughs) sleeper into Liger Bomb into jumping tombstone. How is Ray not dead? You got to target the neck, man. You got to target the neck with everyone else's finisher. He's just warming it up. That's all. (laughs) Dragon breaks up the two count to put Ray in a sleeper again. Kind of cementing him as the heel of the match and doing, you know, I want, I didn't like this as much. I want Ray to submit. I want to like wear him down. One one thing I love by Brain in this match, we were talking about the kicks. Brain tells the whole commentary boot to shh while we listen to one of Dragon's kicks. And I, I think that's a fantastic touch. Hold on, I think we can hear it again. Shh. Perseverance shh, of Ultimate shh, Dragon. Shh. Listen to this, listen to this. Oh, oh yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I always like little twists on classics. And I like that uh, Dragon had a Mexican surfboard on. And let Ray slide all the way back to try and get the pinfall. It's a tiny thing, but I like differences because sometimes watching pay-per-view after pay-per-view of this style, they can run into each other. I have a mark here and I can't remember exactly what Dusty says, but Dusty, I'm pointing it out because it says Dusty being intelligent. And I'm trying to remember what exactly he says. Well, yeah, it doesn't exist then. I I don't know. (laughs) So what happens is actually, while I like this spot, Dusty points out that both their shoulders are down. Right. So oh, that's like, what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Dragon could have, like, eliminated himself from the match or whatever. But both of them are down opposed to just Dragons. I really love the story, again, of the sleepers by Dragon. And I love the pop that Ray gets when he finally slips out of his sleeper. And instead of doing a massive high-impact move, just sticks on his own. Crowd goes crazy. It is really Great. cool. Crowd loves it, though. Crowd's yeah. super into this match. This is probably one of my favorite moments of the match, too. For a couple of reasons. Ray does the 619 kind of fake out. I mean, one, I always like that. But two, he nails the cameraman yes. in, the, in the arm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he creams the guy. Props to the cameraman. <laughs> he barely is. He's face. He's like, whatever. I'm yep. sticking on the shot. Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're like two seconds away from losing that entire camera and maybe the man's arm along with it. It is fantastic. They do have that weird platform that's right next to the ring so they can get cam- the camera into the ring, essentially. And it's a bit awkward. It gets in people's ways every now and again. Right after this, right after that moment, though, Ray fake diving out of the ring, he hits a really nice senton from the second turnbuckle to the outside of the ring. That looks fantastic. Unfortunately, right after this, the commentary team throw it back to Lee Marshall, who's backstage trying to get a statement from Kevin Nash and the NWO. I don't like when they do this in a match. This feels very much like cable TV. You know, you can do this in a normal Nitro match. I don't like it in pay-per-views. I especially don't like it since the whole match has had five sleeper holds you could have done this with. And instead, you do it in the middle of Ray's hot comeback. The worst part about it, even worse than what you're saying, is that they do the same promo less than five minutes later. Yeah. There's literally no reason for them to cut to Lee Marshall twice on this pay-per-view. 
the worst no, no no the worst part about this is <laughs> <laughs> you can't even hear what success so there's yeah. no even no point of this <laughs> i had my headphones on full blast I still could not make it out. What I made out one said. word. He said WCW at some stage. I, I have WCW is going to choke or something. And I had to be six. There's a little troll face sticking out there. It anno- annoys me even more. It's so pointless and it's really... I, I think it's a tad disrespectful to the guys in the ring who, who are killing themselves in these spots as well. Is it bad that I think the only reason Six is being shown on all these promos with Kevin is that he's literally the one who looks closest to Scott Hall? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Or maybe Kev's just like, who's the smallest? Because then I'll look real big next to, next to Six all the time. Back to the match, and we get a springboard leg drop onto the back of Dragon's head. Ray runs to the turnbuckle and flips over oncoming Dragon after an Irish whip. Dragon climbs up himself and tries to hit a crossbody, but Ray slides under. When Ray goes up to the top again, Dragon drop kicks him from the top rope to the outside, which I thought looked brutal. Somebody on the commentary notes that his head goes right into the top of the ring post to the outside as well. Yeah, Ray Ray's taken some serious bumps already, like this early in his career. Every pay-per-view, there's at least one bump he does that makes me really wince. Yeah, and then right after that, Ray tries the, the lion salt attempt and Dragon drop kicks him midair. Again, yeah. how is he alive? I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's a sick drop kick as well. <laughs> yeah, n- none of Dragon's kicks have been gentle at all for this full match. He does follow it up with one of my one of my pet hate moves. He does a big swing and then falls down. Why do people use the big swing? It is the it is the weirdest move, especially when you sell it doing damage to yourself. Oh. To discombobulate your opponent, obviously. Yeah, I actually like the move, but yeah, as far as fitting with Dragon's character, yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, it's kind of just out of character with him, yeah. Right, it's a comedy moment. You can hear the crowd laugh as well. Yeah, one of the things I dislike a little bit about this match commentary-wise is, so Dragon once or twice, we we pointed out one, but it happens a couple other times, pulls Ray up at two, and that's fine, and it's fine then for commentary to go, that's a mistake, you've got to put away Ray when you can. But then sometimes he just does big moves and takes his while selling it and getting up. And the commentary team are like, oh, he should pin him now. He should pin him now. And I think that kind of breaks up the match a little bit and makes Dragon look stupider than he's trying to portray. Dusty at one stage does jump to his defense, which I like saying it's the heat of the moment. You can't always tell someone what to do in the middle of a battle, which I kind of liked. Dragon goes for a tiger suplex. Ray struggles and gets his foot through the bottom rope, breaking it up. Dragon misses with a spinning heel kick. By the way, his fifth or sixth missed spinning heel kick of the match. Which lets Ray go for a springboard Rana off the second rope with the cover for the win. And pretty cool closing sequence. A lot of these matches ending in the same way where even after all these big moves, it's the sneaky roll up by the face that wins it. Honestly, I was not looking forward to this match since we've seen it twice. This time, nothing's on the line. But somehow, this managed to be my favorite of, of the three. I think it's a great use of high spots and submissions. They had the crowd in the palm of their hand. And Ray finally, after months and months of like average to bad matches, he's back to form in the opening match, delivering the goods. Love this. Yeah, Jennifer Anderson would be so lucky. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, when you get to work with Ultimo Dragon as opposed to Prince Ayakia, it makes a bit of a difference in your attitude levels, I'd say. I really enjoyed this match as well, uh, echoing a lot of what Connor said. These guys are probably at the tops of their game. Maybe not Ray. Ray probably does get better than this, just purely through experience. But Ultimo Dragon is so slick, so smooth. He's 
so good with his move set. He demonstrates a wide range of moves in this in this match and is just an excellent, excellent wrestler. And then again, yeah, the crowd is super into it and they really enjoy it. And there's a big pop for Ray when he wins. So like they, they have a genuine star and he's opening all their pay-per-view shows at the moment. <laughs> probably it's a great match. Probably my favorite match on this pay-per-view. Same, same. I would have to, I would definitely have to agree. And later on, for sure, in our in our timeline, we'll we'll have to talk about the cruiserweight division and where the belt is because we haven't seen the belt for two shows now. Spoilers: we we don't see a cruiserweight title because uh, six is hurt. So we're gonna. I, I definitely want to talk about how the cruiserweight division has been a little bit mismanaged. I mean, I mean, unfortunately, these guys are too awesome that it doesn't really matter that they need the belt. And Dragon just handles himself nicely without Sunny, which I was actually surprised with. Yeah, here he connects with the crowd. I think UV and stuff like that have a bit of a problem with that and their gimmicks don't really translate. But something about Dragon looks very polished and his attitude and his playing up with the, the crowd looks very polished. And uh, yeah, these two are probably the best in the Cruiserweight division at the moment or the, the, the best consistent matches we've seen from them. And I don't know exactly how their career goes after this because I've been trying not to spoil it for myself or think too hard about it. But I'm going to guess they get a little mismanaged <laughs> over the next year or two. Uh, it's quite the opposite. We actually see good things from both guys. Yeah. That's awesome. That is very awesome. They deserve yeah. it. Those guys are do okay. Not so much maybe the others. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know about long term, but at least short term, uh, we're going to see more dragon for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sick. I do I, I've I've only seen uh, I said this at the very start of the cast. I've only seen his WWE stuff. I never got why he was so hyped. He didn't really click there, but I can absolutely see why people are excited to see him in a WWE ring. So after that match, we get Lee Marshall backstage again for basically the exact same segment, trying to get a statement from the NWO. The Steiners are there to make things awkward for everyone and trying to push through security. All Scott keeps shouting is, you suck. He cannot think of something else to say. Scott shouts the words four or five times at Kevin Nash and six, you suck. Nash says he will take on both men, but only if he gets Nick Patrick as the referee, as his kind of demand. Fuck. He then <laughs> yeah he then spits right in scott's face scott obviously gets it's super a hell mad of a spit. it is a fantastic spit the outsiders are very good at spitting in people's faces a excellent talent they both have i was wondering out loud do, do you think scott knew about it like stevie ray didn't know about it when uh nash, when <laughs> hall spit at him I, this is probably a pre-planned one because scott takes a swing at nash hits one of the security and the security mace the crap out of him and take him down <laughs> It's just not any security, Dave. It's the head of security, Doug Dillinger. Mm. Oh, that, that's what his name is? I, yeah. I always recognized him, but I, did, I never knew what it was. Doug Dillinger. Yeah, I, I, it has to be planned, Dave, because spitting in Scott Steiner's face, I don't know, I, I would have to ask him before doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not a great idea. The worst bit about this, so usually when cops take a wrestler out, there's a bit of a struggle and it's fighty. But it looks real. They take a while to take down Scott and they're twisting his arms back and they keep macing him in the face and it looks weird. He then starts basically squealing, Ricky, Ricky, help. Ricky, come over here and help me. Ricky, it hurts. It's real awkward. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> no, I, that's in my notes. Yeah, it's geez, a little harsh, you think? <laughs> yeah, it comes off like they're really breaking the guy's arm. I guess that's really good good acting just take him away just put him in some handcuffs and don't make it look like a real arrest guys that's that's depressing yeah it kind of lingers just that little bit too long 
on the shot. <laughs> he says Ricky help so many times. Yeah. yeah, it's something I just wasn't expecting to see. Big Papa Pump being handled like this. I was like, wow, I was not expecting yeah, he, that. He doesn't even, usually in these angles, you get like the face gets a few punches in at the evil security guards doing their job before they get overwhelmed. But he just gets maced right in his eyes <laughs> a evil, bunch of times. The evil it's security weird. guards. The evil security guards doing their job. How dare they get in the face's way of kicking ass. Match number two, and we get a Medusa match. Finally, again, <laughs> is this the second one of the cast? Three. three. Hogwild yeah, and Starcade, yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot Hogwild. How, how can you forget the, the, the bike match? <laughs> yeah. yeah, in fairness. We get Akira... Hokoto, is that? Am I pronouncing that right, guys? Is that how you pronounce it? Hokuto, Hokuto? They, they seem Hoka- to say. Hokuto. I don't. I'm gonna say my pronunciation was better. We'll, we'll call her Hokuto. <laughs> current current women's champion against Medusa. This is a continuation of their last match and their uh, their feud before. Has much happened on the Nitros, Connor? It's hard to tell with this division because they obviously don't really care. And that this that's kind of what happened for Starcade. So part of the problem with me trying to figure out what's you know what the buildup for some of these matches are is I'm guessing a lot of the matches are on Saturday night, but we don't have access to those, or I don't have access to those. But it's just yeah, general stuff here. USA versus Japan. I like boat workers a lot, so it's a shame that I think they don't get more of a spotlight. But as you said, I don't think they have any real interest in furthering the women's division. I'll tell you my number one reason why they don't care about this match and the division in general. Lee Marshall is the commentator for women's matches. <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. Yeah, I, don't care. I don't care one bit what Lee Marshall says. Can he just get beaten up again by, by the faces of fear? <laughs> the highlight of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have noted here that Medusa looks like, uh, do you remember Gladiators, the show? Yeah. Yeah. Good call. She looks like something off Gladiators, that spandex, that just perfect. Uh, she probably should have moved to a career for that. She would probably be treated a little bit better. Akira out with the podcast favorite, Sony Ono. She's also looking fantastic in her traditional kimono. And Sonny with an Akira t-shirt on because he knows what's up and you got to be merchandising all the time. So ahead of his time. I'm, I'm willing to say Sonny Ono is probably the best manager of all time at this stage (laughs) (laughs) in WCW at this time uh, maybe sure (laughs) Sherry is still there you're a harsh taskmaster I'll give you that Dave (laughs) (laughs) Akira starts to match with some vicious looking hair tosses and I've noticed a couple times now Akira works pretty snug I think she she puts a lot into her moves and you can see a couple flinches from Medusa early on when she might be choking her a little bit too hard well Suck it up. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, top rope sleeper by Akira, ignoring the count of the referee. So this is where Minori Suzuki got all his moves set, apparently, if you watch this match. It is just, he must be a massive Akira mm. fan. A lot of chokes, including a double-handed lift, where she then removes one of her hands to taunt the crowd, and I thought that looked really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more a fan of Akira's kind of personality and offense. Because I know when we watched the Bull Nakano matches, she was very like, I'm a monster. I'm going to... Makara doesn't really do much of that. It's very nonchalant. Yeah. Just... She's just more of a badass. You know that yeah. she can fuck you up, so she will. Yeah, no, I really like her style. It is, again, a lot of like the Suzuki stuff where they just ignore the ref and the ref is too scared of them to disqualify them, which I think, which I think is kind of cool. It can be overplayed a bit and confusing, but it is kind of cool. 
I like uh, Medusa's headstand takedown when Akira goes to top rope. I think that looked really athletic and came off really well. Of course, we get Sony uh, getting involved when the ref starts to reprimand Akira more for her chokes and her heel tactics. Sony gets a few slaps in on Medusa, which is, I guess, something you won't see on TV anymore nowadays, but gets his comeuppance nearly instantly when Medusa kicks him away onto the ground. My, this is the line of the night for me. Bobby comments, you can't hit a person with glasses. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's rude. It's just too rude. The ref gets distracted again uh, while Medusa gets choked by Sonny, again kicked away. As a comeback, Medusa hits some nice missile drop kicks off the second ropes into a German with a bridge for a close two count. The ref gets distracted by Ono this time. Luna runs in and kicks Medusa in the leg while she's setting up for a powerbomb. A little bit of a sloppy finish where it kind of looks like she still completes the powerbomb, but Akira kind of rolls through, sits on top of uh, Medusa for the three count. And I think the match is actually quite fine. It's rushed because they only give it five minutes. But yeah, the, the finish, the, the interference makes Medusa look weak and doesn't make sense. It's just weird too. Again, coming from the Nitros, this whole Luna Fashan thing, like she's not really developed as a character. They don't have like an introduction, say like when Jackie had it on a pay-per-view. She just yeah. kind of randomly appears. When she appeared on a Nitro or when Medusa called her out, I was like, what? Luna's in WCW? I, I didn't know this. So, so again, part of this is just probably confusion that I haven't seen Saturday Nights, which I'm assuming they've covered her on that. I don't know. So that's you the tough hope. thing about covering some of these. Yeah, you would hope, but I wouldn't be surprised if otherwise. Yeah. It's also in true WCW style. The camera is so bad, you barely see her as it is. Yep. Yeah, for, for sure. You, you barely got to look at her face. And as we said, it's like her pay-per-view debut. And I don't even, if I hadn't known who Luna was from later on in her career, I would have had no idea what was happening. So un- un- unfortunate because I think both these wrestlers are really good and they show like little flares of a very good and capable match in them. And they're only given five minutes and a terrible ending. Well, I think we have two more women's matches and then that's pretty much it for the division. Yeah, un- un- unfortunately, yes. M- Medusa throwing... Her career in the garbage for this makes me very, very sad. On to the third match of the night, and we get our first William Regal match, or Lord Stephen Regal, sorry, as he's known here, against reigning television champion Prince Iokea, another favorite of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, favorite, that's the word. Does Regal have the best villain face of all time? Hmm. That's a tough one. It's pretty good. I, yeah, his hair, the way he carries himself. It, his whole persona is amazing. Yeah, it, it never changes. He never gets worse at it. The thing I love about this, because I've noted that they both come down and Regal gets a lot of heat and he builds up that heat throughout the match and even people who might know him do know him after the match. Prince Ioka again, comes down to no reaction. But by five minutes into the match, a bit less, people are cheering for Prince because they hate Regal so much. I think he does a fantastic job also of playing up to the crowd. He spends about the first minute just circling the ring, telling fans to come on and get in here or shut up. He does the old school heel stuff so well. I feel like I'm gushing a bit, but I think uh, William Regal has to be one of my favorite wrestlers. You're actually kind of missing a lot on the Nitros. He does a lot better work on Nitro, actually. So I thought some of this work was actually a little bit too much. At least like shouting at the fans, it kind of dragged on a little bit. But when you're working with Prince Ikea, I think he you, you need to try a little harder. So I think that's yeah, what he's I, I, for. I think that's the big thing. Like, because there was no reaction to the face, he needs to kind of whip the crowd into a frenzy. And that shows because in the early exchanges, Regal's doing his chain wrestling, his kind of vicious things. 
and he sells Iokea's offense really well. And there's actual pops. I don't think I've heard a pop for him yet, but every time he does his chop and then doesn't know what move to do after it, there is a reaction from the crowd. They're happy to see Regal off his feet. In the early exchanges, commentary let us know that Scott has been arrested for attacking security. Amazing wrestle crap. Excellent, excellent wrestle crap. <laughs> Man, you have a very low bar for what wrestle crap is. Like, <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he barely grazed the head of a security guard and then got maced, shouted, help Ricky, and then went to jail for the night. <laughs> like, that's not that bad. <laughs> like, they, they have to figure out some way for him not to be able to wrestle. They could have easily said that he was blind or something, and that would have been way worse. Yeah, I I, I get that for sure. I don't mind this being brought up now. Uh, I've said before in the cast that I don't like matches being like overshadowed by other things, but I I think this was fine and well dealt with with commentary. Plus, there's not much going on in the ring. Part of this is just it's a product of the era, just common practice that we have to update you on the the big popular angle. What's Stone Cold doing? We have to update you on that. What's the NWO doing? We have to update you on that. When Poochie isn't on screen, you got to be asking, where's Poochie? Poochie. <laughs> he also needs a time machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit of offense in by, um, by Iokea, and Regal breaks it up by pulling the referee into the corner and telling him that Iokea is cheating by punching him in the mouth. Classic, classic heel move. Though it makes Prince look a little clueless because he just has no idea what to do while regal's talking to the ref and that just kind of shows uh, shows off his inexperience he's plain old white bread like he's literally no character he does that hand thing like he kind of knows karate prince wins a test of strength against regal regal avoids getting pinned and gets back up with a nice kip up i didn't know he had kip ups in his uh, repertoire when both men are up, Prince uh, gets hit in the eye by Regal, and Regal shows the crowd that that wasn't illegal because he used his palm and definitely not his thumb in his eye. The thing that brings down this match, because I do think Regal does some good heel work, is after Prince's big chop, which is his main move for his comebacks, he doesn't really know what to do. And he never does a high-impact move, he never does a high spot, it's just chop, chop, maybe one suplex, and goes for a pin. He never gets his shine on. Yeah, you think the match with Randy Savage would have... Uh... Give him a little more confidence. Nope. Yeah. He just no. doesn't have moves is the problem. He doesn't know what to go to. So he has his like two moves, his chop, and he does, I think he does like a, a suplex or something. And when he does those two moves, he's kind of like, uh, another chop. And you can just tell he's not, he hasn't, he doesn't have enough matches under, under his belt. He does a very slow crossbody. And I love Regal just walking away from it nonchalantly and shaking his head as I, like, okay, he just hits the canvas. Pretty simple finish. Regal is shot into the corner and he does a step up to avoid hitting the turnbuckle. He goes around the back of Prince and goes for a roll up. But Prince spins out of it, sits down into a pin, cinches it in for the tree. More importantly, what happens after the match is Regal attacks. And this comes off as a bit sloppy. Prince tries to fight him off, but not in a very convincing way. Regal goes for the Regal stretch, but one of them botches it and his legs, uh, Prince's legs, like spring out so he doesn't have it locked in. When Regal goes for it again, he's kind of tentative and doesn't lock it in fully. And I have a feeling that maybe Iokea was hurt somewhere or that he's not flexible enough to take the Regal stretch. It was kind of weird because Regal was not, did not have many qualms about just sticking that move fully on people. Yeah, I mean, the aftermath of that match was more entertaining than the majority of the match that I watched, to be perfectly honest. I think it was the match was mediocre for sure. I think if Iokea knew at least one more move... It would, it would be fine, but he, he really doesn't know what to do in that ring yet. And it's still showing 
maybe his Nitro matches are a bit better, but his pay-per-view ones. No, are. not really. <laughs> like I, I am in my notes, I would say wasn't the worst Prince match, but again, that's I mean, since Regal is so entertaining, it kind of brings it up a yeah. little bit. But still, it's it's not it's not really a good good match. Yeah. My my, my favorite note is uh, in the finish, Regal's foot actually touches the rope accidentally, which is kind of awkward. But I think it's subtle enough I had for the same, yeah. Yeah, it's hard enough for the ref like not to see it. So like I'll 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 let it slide. So I will note that this run is over. This is the end of the television title reign, and we won't see Prince for a year, which is, thank God that happens. <laughs> Apparently, he goes to New Japan, right? Correct. And in New Japan, I was reading up on this because you had told me, Connor. Apparently, they favor him a lot. One of the bookers there, like, really likes him and gives him, like, puts him in with, like, really experienced guys and tries to get him better. And maybe he's just, like, the nicest guy backstage, and people are like, oh, I hope he does well. Because WCW obviously had faith in him and put him like putting him in with Randy Savage, putting him in with Ray when Ray is having these massive matches. So they mu- people must see some something in him. Let's see if he improves when he comes back. I, yeah. I don't know. We we covered two matches of him in '98, including a match with Norman Smiley at Starcade '98. Ooh, cannot wait! Cannot, <laughs> can't wait cannot for that wait. one. Can't wait. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, uh, Regal does get his wish and faces Rey Mysterio the next night on Nitro. And that's kind of what is weird about this whole feud is he's more feuding with Ray, but he's fighting with Ikea. Because, like, in the promo, he says, like, oh, after I win the title, I want to fight Ray and get my revenge because I need the title first to do that. I, what, Whatever. So that's where we go next, though. Regal's in the title picture again, but it's against the new champion, which I won't uh, unveil yet. Yeah, so Ray and William Regal are, or Stephen Regal, sorry, are feuding, but Prince has a win over both of them. Why they don't fight each other? That's some that's some excellent booking. Some top notch. It's notch weird booking. that WCW they don't do the triple threat matches or anything yeah. like that. WWF used to do a lot, but WCW is very very hesitant to do that. Yeah, that would be such a natural ending to this feud. To this feud, and then you have like Ray hits like a big move on Regal, and Prince happens to get the pin, and then you get to like end the feud or continue the feud in an interesting way. Yeah, it would have been much better. So after this, we get thrown back to Gene backstage. Gene tells us if we call the hotline, we can find out about a new backstage click and a car crash that happened. Now, I don't know if he means the match we just watched or if he means... <laughs> no, it's the next one. ...an actual <laughs> motor car. Uh, Gene does intro, big surprise, Rick Flair to a massive reaction, of course. Rick, just coming back from injury or just maybe coming back from injury, pumps up the crowd and gets massive reactions. A big surprise here, and something that I didn't know about, guys. Kevin Green. I, I had never heard of Kevin Green coming over. This was just a complete surprise to me. Ah, you haven't been watching Nitros. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the back in the very like beginning. De- December, yeah, like a long time ago, right? Yeah, it's it's like the very first month that we, we started. He shows up on one of the Disneyland Nitros. He's like, oh yeah, I'd fight. I can't even remember who he has a beef with. But he's like, I'd fight you now if I didn't have to go into training camp. But I do, so I'll see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically like Rodman. Like, oh, I'm going to show up at this pay-per-view and see you in, see in July. Oh, all right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, get a nice big paycheck out of it, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember this because Kevin Green played for the Panthers. Football was never my forte. So I, I really only knew the, the Midwest athletes. Yeah. Besides that, you know, pretty normal Ric Flair promo. Hypes up the crowd, tell, tells us how great the four horsemen are, talks them up, 
tells tells us that he wants Hogan in Charlotte and the whole NWO. He doesn't care if he wins. He just cares if he fights them. Classic Flair stuff. I like to kind of rate the Flair promos based on how many pieces of clothing he likes to toss off of himself as he's doing it. So this is a good one because he gets angry enough that he has to throw his jacket away, completely distracting Gene Okerlund. And uh, yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> he, he gets he gets his point across and he sets up some stuff for next month or the month after or whenever it is. Right, yeah. Nice setup for next month. Also, just the horsemen have just been embarrassingly bad now that Arn is also out for the count as well. It's like, oh, thank you. Thank you for coming back. We needed you. Yeah, he does more in a minute of promo than Piper did in months of promos. I do like at the end that he, uh, the way he threatens Bischoff. Just tie up every bit of me. That's probably not a good idea, Rick. You probably couldn't move. But I get your point. I get your point. We get our fourth match of the night. And uh, <laughs> Public Enemy versus two of the horsemen. Not the good ones. Steve McMichael and Jeff <laughs> the, Jarrett. The worst ones. The worst yeah. ones ever. No, no, yeah. no. Sadly, yeah, they're and, not the worst. Yeah, and b- before we begin, I, I want to mention too, D- Dave, before the podcast, he-, he sent us a message like, how many more Public Enemy matches do we have to cover? <laughs> I'm so done. When I saw the Rubber Shark one, I'm like, okay, at least their entertainment value. They've lost all their entertainment value. And I wrote a little bit about this match, but not much happens. It's real. I'm just so tired of this because it's it's the same thing, what, since maybe December? Yes. Yeah. It's, Horsemen, can they coexist? And for some reason, Mongo and Jarrett, oh, this is a good idea. Let's let's tag team. We obviously don't like each other because Deborah is always in the middle of us. So I wonder what's going to happen this week. Are we going to get along or are we not going to? I was told that if you watch WCW pay-per-view to pay-per-view, you won't know what's happening. But so far, it's been coherent enough. I get it. I don't get what's happening with the Horsemen. And... I don't get how Jeff Jarrett was ever considered a good wrestler. It's called <laughs> nepotism. <laughs> yeah. All four men in the, this match were paid to wrestle. That's a miracle. If you one day, if you look at the thing you want to do most in life and you say you can't, you watch this wrestling match. All these men were paid to wrestle. You can achieve your dreams. Match starts with Mongo and Rocco and they pray Rocco up like he's smarter than Mongo. And I don't know who that's insulting more. <laughs> until Jarrett (laughs) helps him and they clear the ring together to stand tall I suppose that the horsemen are supposed to be the faces here but I'm unsure who do you think the faces are in the match they're supposed to be a public enemy I'm guessing yeah I would have thought public enemy are the faces (laughs) bizarrely (laughs) yeah Jarrett does an ab stretch spot and I'm very sick of this spot I think I've already said this before where his partner helps him a few times behind the ref's back. But they do it really weirdly timed, and they don't do it when the ref is distracted. Then the ref, without any warning, just kicks Jarrett's hand away, so Jarrett gets hip-tossed, and it was, like, really weirdly done. Yeah, that's the outsider's move. You can't gimmick infringement again. They, yeah. they do it the best. They do it the best, but it's on. it's been on every pay-per-view. Someone has done it on every pay-per-view, not only the outsiders, and it's starting to get a bit thin, especially when only one or two of the teams have actually done it right. At one stage in this match, Mongo just gets into the ring for no reason, and Jared gets thrown into them, and they both fall down. I mean, when, when the four guys don't even care enough to really do a proper match, I, it really goes downhill very quickly. <laughs> yeah. I do like commentary, do cover some of their stuff, so Mongo makes a couple botches, and this was a big one. He literally walks into the ring, stands in the corner looking at Jared, and Jared gets fired at him. And they both fall. I think it's grunges in the ring at the time and just kicks both of them and has no idea what to do. 
But the commentary go, you know, Mongo's new. He missed his cue. Like, he's coming from a different sport. But he'll never make that mistake again. The horseman will never. So I, I think the commentary did an okay like, job at trying how, to cover it. But wait, like, how long has Mongo been wrestling now? Almost a year? Yeah, like, <laughs> you can't make an excuse for somebody who's been wrestling for a year like that. Yeah. I don't think. Well, it's, that's the hard thing. Yeah, it's he's had competent matches before. We, yeah. We've seen him in decent battles, but Public Enemy's not the team to do it with, though. Yeah, it's not like he's Redman or Rodman, sorry, or Kevin Green or someone who's just kind of showed up. Like, he wrestles most weeks. Yeah. Like, he's on TV a lot, and I assume they do some form of house circuit shows as well. So he's wrestled an awful lot. That's not an excuse anymore. It's pretty weird. Everything in this matchup just seems like mistimed. The camera also picks up a bit too much audio when Rocco gets hit to the ground. Deborah audibly says, ha ha, and Rocco replies, oh, you bitch. Yep. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. yeah. He just says, oh, you bitch for laughing at him. And then we get the classic we need in every public enemy match. Split cam. Because nothing makes a public enemy match that much more better than splitting up the cameras. <laughs> Ain't nothing like a split screen show. Hey. <laughs> we also get Deborah just slapping grunge. That's not a DQ for some reason. Jared then uses a weapon to stop Deborah uh, being put through a table. That is also not a DQ. Mongo isn't being counted out, even though he's all the way up the ramp fighting next to the cows. Okay. <laughs> grunge then uh, tries to put Jarrett through the table with a flying elbow off the top rope Jarrett moves Grunge doesn't really sell that he just does that and two seconds later is walking around normally well that that table I have it it snapped like a cheap breadstick yeah <laughs> considering they're like ECW guys they are so they're so soft with their tables they have it taped up it's a pre-snapped table since it's a normal breaking table, I don't know why they have to do that. I mean, I'll take it any other day than the table that we saw with the Benoit Sullivan match that didn't Ugh. break, so I'm yeah, fine. Maybe that's I'm why f- they did it. Maybe that's why they did it. <laughs> so we finally get all the men back in the ring after it goes between split cam, not split cam, split cam two or three times. <laughs> Jared does a crossbody on grunge for a two count that Rocco breaks up. I'm very certain neither of them were the legal men. Public enemy are allowed to stay in the ring and just double team the horsemen while the horsemen do normal tags. I don't get it. Why are they both just allowed to stay in the ring? Why are the horsemen tagging? No one knows. The finish to this match cannot come fast enough. Oh, the Jared, finish though. You know, my, my favorite thing about this so far, Connor, is that Dave is whining and moaning about how much he has to watch these matches, and he has so many notes on them. <laughs> <laughs> it's how mad I get. If I have to watch them, I'm gonna gonna point out all the stupidity in these matches. <laughs> yes, the finish couldn't come fast enough. Jarrett locks in the figure four in the middle of the ring. Ref tells Mongo to get out of the ring. We're finally enforcing a rule, I guess. He takes forever to get out of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rocco gets the Halberton, climbs to the first rope, not the top rope, the first rope, because that's where the real action is, <laughs> and dives off to nail Jarrett. I don't think that would have hurt any more or less if you had just hit him normally. Grunge sits up from the figure four, doesn't bother to get his fat ass over to Jarrett for the pin, just sits there shouting at the ref to count a pin. It's not a pin. Your legs are just tangled up. That's a tree, apparently. That's a, that's a finish to a wrestling match. That's a tree count, and this is over. 
<laughs> oh, I, got- I, lo- I love your disdain for Public Enemy. <laughs> this is great. I wouldn't mind if they weren't so lazy. At least I can watch the Nasty Boys who are similar because they, they try. They're not athletic. They're not good. But you can see they're trying stuff. He wouldn't even roll his fat ass over to make the pin. <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> You, you missed one of my favorite parts, too. Rocco didn't even take the case with him, so it's just sitting yeah. right next to the wrestlers, so the ref can see it. It's like, mm-hmm. I wonder what this was for. Commentary then blamed Deborah that the horseman lost for being careless with the Hal- Halberton. Also, they come across as really creepy because all commentary ever say is how pretty Deborah is. So at one stage, all three of them in a row go, she's beautiful. Brain goes, she's beautiful, but I wouldn't want to hear her talk. And Dusty's like, yeah, she's beautiful, but she's devilish. And Tony's like, she's beautiful for sure, guys. But I'm like, this is real creepy. <laughs> yeah, this match was a clusterfuck. It's obviously the worst match on the card. It's terrible. Terrible match. I'm looking forward to not covering Public Enemy anymore. Two more matches, Dave. Two more matches. <laughs> <sighs> Hopefully. This got 10 minutes. The women's match got five minutes with two good athletes in the ring for a championship. This got over 10 minutes. Nepotism, Dave. Jeez. Nepotism. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't wait Jaren Mongo not to be a thing anymore. By the way, that briefcase, it looks like they could get it's another It's ruined, isn't it? Buy a new one. Buy a new one. It's hit so many people. A bit like the Nasty Boys as well. None of their moves look convincing until they have to try and lamp people with weapons and then they feel like doing realistic looking wrestling moves. Yep, not a good match. Public Enemy, I think you said this earlier, Dave, that they're exposed when they're not in ECW. Yeah, uh, Fergus was saying it. In front of big Ah, crowds with matches against wrestlers that don't do the same style as them, they're not good. Well, it just doesn't translate. To be fair, and this gets said about him a lot, Paul Heyman puts his guys in good positions and he knows their limitations. So he makes sure that they're not doing stuff that they're not expected to. Whereas... The public enemy here are just like put out on a line and just hung out to dry. Like they're like, yeah, go do this match. And they're like, I don't know how to do this match. We're paying you. So they're not normal wrestlers. They're they're a sideshow. And in ECW, they were allowed to be that sideshow and interact with the fans and grab weapons for them and get over that way. Here, the fans don't know what to do about them. Well, they kind of do pop for the table spot. But the problem is, is that they can't arrange a match around the table spot so they have difficulty whereas with an ecw they could do a whole ream of things because of the different constraints we'll we'll get away from this train wreck and we'll go back to gene backstage to another train wreck yes yeah this is the best train wreck (laughs) i did not know it was this soon (laughs) no we we first get the uh obligatory Hotline pimp, you need to know who that clique is. I need to know who that clique is. I wish I knew. I wish it was still in service. I would call them right now. Mm-hmm. We get Harlem Heat for their promo before their four-corner match. Sherry tells us they have everything planned out. Even if they have to fight each other, they got a plan and they're coming away with the win. Then comes the greatest piece of promo work of all time. Booker going through his normal great, I, I, I like Booker promos. And then this line comes up. After we take Lex Luger and Giant, we want the gold sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you. N-word. <laughs> and I'll tell you, he doesn't say N-word. And his hands just go straight up to his head and he turns around and Sherry has to like pat him on the shoulder and like reassure him. And he looks back at the camera and is like cringing and Sherry is trying to like hold in laughter. And Stevie Ray 
doesn't care. Stevie Ray just no-sells it and does his promo like what? That's how we that's how I talk about Hulk Hogan every day. <laughs> it is superbly awkward. Though I think if he doesn't cringe, maybe he's fine. It's the cringiness, it's the laughing. And in his defense, he has to do a bit more promo after that and he recovers and he does it well. I think Stevie Ray could have possibly had the greatest promo of all time there and nobody would have noticed. (laughs) 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 Because I I, I can't remember a word Stevie has said because your eyes are immediately locked on Booker after he said what he said. (laughs) And it's not even Sherry holding in laughter. She completely corpses on on line fair play to to gene gene manages to carry on somehow Uh, (laughs) oh it's fantastic i just i love it so much because you can just see his heart exploding inside him going i've just ruined my career i'm never (laughs) going to pause the minute where his heart splits in (laughs) the head exactly and you're never going to get this chance again you absolute idiot it's the same with uh when Jericho later on, I can't wait to cover that, but when Jericho's like, my holds, and he's snatching back his paper, that's just Booker. My push, no, come back. <laughs> Poor yeah, his, Booker. His face, like, you could just see, he's just like, mm, you yeah. can see his lips, and like, Shiri's like trying to smile and hold it in. She's like patting him on the face and everything, like, it's gonna be okay. Yeah. It's gonna just keep going, just keep going. It, oh. It's glorious. And if you haven't seen this promo, Look it up. Yeah. Watch the start of a botchamania. <laughs> You'll see it there. It's actually a good promo if you take away that part. It's just normal Harlem Heat. We're going to take everything. I think Booker's uh, plays on the hotline. He's like, well, who cares about this new clique? Because this is the clique. Harlem Heat and Sherry. We're taking everything. We were taking Lex Luger. We're taking Giant. We want the gold sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you. You unpleasant man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree, uh, except I would skip Sherry's part of the promo. I thought it was pretty awful. I, I have not been impressed with her work. Yeah, she's a bit cringy, and considering I think her work around the ring as a heel is good, I thought her promos would be a bit better, but they weren't great. It's kind of like her time has passed at this point, because she was more of an 80s yep. manager. For sure. Next match, we get Dean Malenko, current US champion, versus Chris Benoit. Second time we've covered these guys... Was it Hogwild was their first match? Yep, that was yeah. the, the time limit draw. The long yeah. one. Time limit yeah. draw. It wasn't a, a draw, but it, it went the overtime and yeah. Yes. The overtime, yeah. So there wasn't much build up to this match. As we said, we've seen the guys fight before. Main reason they're both fighting is both Eddie and Six are hurt. Benoit has been busy feuding with the dungeon and Sullivan because that feud is still going, unfortunately. Over a year. Can we end this? <laughs> over Please. a year and, and it's very clear that no one cares it's not even us not caring with hindsight the crowds do not care about the dungeon particularly just kevin sullivan i, I think conan and hugh morris have made some strides and obviously we love the faces but the faces just you know they're not just going to get pushed we, we we know that sadly sadly yeah, yeah, sure. kevin sullivan i don't i don't see it why why what, what are they building to because he's the booker. Yeah, building to his yeah. paycheck. <laughs> yeah. He needs an, a reason to stick around. So we get some uh, basic entrances by Boatman. Benoit finally has the horseman music, right? <sighs> that is yeah. the horseman music, right? I, I always get confused with the yeah. entrances. Yeah. <laughs> a funny note, Boatman are, have nearly the exact same styles. 
both men do the stretch the top rope thing about 20 times. And I'm like, if they're not, if the ropes aren't ready by now, guys, they're never going to be just wrestle. I always thought it was more of like they're stretching type of thing. I always thought it was like both. I, did, I as far as I know, they're genuinely uh, some some people genuinely check the ropes, especially like cruiserweights to check if they're tight enough for certain mm. moves. That's the story actually behind Mick Foley's missing ear. Top rope was too loose, so they tightened it fully up, and then he does the hangman, and the rope is never that tight, so he nearly dies. This match is, I would say, super typical Benoit and Malenko. It's very similar to their first one. And I think they bring the crowd down a lot. Like, I, I like it. It's a good match. There's, like, the wrestling they do is good and enjoyable. But I don't think they read the crowd well here. Yeah, these guys need a story. That, that, that's all there really is to it. Yes, I agree. It's both guys are feuding with somebody else. So it's like, why are we fighting? They don't really give any excuse to why they're fighting. We both respect each other. So we're going to see who the better man is type of thing. And it's just an awkward match all around. Yeah, like, I, I remember enjoying the, the Hog Wild one more even though it was really long and it kind of dipped and starts. But this one is just, it's very similar. They don't they don't get the crowd in, involved at all and it drags and they don't really know what to do. And it's really strange from the two people because you would expect them to have the ability to wrestle lots of different moves, come up with more stuff to do, come up with different spots, but they just don't. And they just spend so much time in rest holds and sleepers and submissions. And everybody just seems to get bored and sit on their hands then because of it. It's a really, really odd match. It feels very filler. Yeah. I've noticed that Dean has given us different matches so far. Chris has not. Chris has seemed like really limited in what he does. Now, he's been in some terrible matches with terrible opponents, but he does the same things over and over. And this is just not the Chris we know a couple of years from now. So maybe he's just going through a bad period of wrestling. Maybe he's just not enjoying it so much that he's not doing well. But none of what they do in this match is bad. It just doesn't have any real meaning. The best bit of commentary of the night comes when Dusty runs the loses the run of himself and starts talking a long time about one move. And Brain, after Dusty is done talking, lets them know that the place we only have the place till 12, which is one of my favorite pieces of commentary. <laughs> the whole match, it's really hard to break it down in the way that we usually do on this cast, but it's just chain wrestling, one big spot, back into chain wrestling. One of the spots I have outlined is Dean has Benoit in a short arm scissors, and Benoit essentially deadlifts him into like a back suplex. Which I thought was a really impressive like showing of strength. Dean is not extremely light, but then it goes right back into this same routine. Is there any big spots you guys have kind of etched out? Because it's hard to pick them out in this match. The only memorable thing really about this match is Benoit's bloody hand. I couldn't get past it. So he actually was involved in a car accident earlier in the day and the wound just opened up again. So, that, so that's what it was. Because oh. I was thinking... I was like, why is his hand bleeding so yeah, much? Yeah, how did he break? How did he bust his hand open? Yeah. I thought it was bleeding at the start of the match, but then I'm like, no, it must be a red clot on his hand. No, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it was definitely open. It, it, it just distracted me too because when he gives those slaps, we thought Dragon's kicks sounded yeah. good. Those his slaps chops, in this yeah, match were... sounded amazing. They did, yeah. Back elbow. Oh, oh, back oh man. That ring it up. Is that, that a shotgun that went off? That was four horsemen slash nature boy. Ah! Rick style right there. Knocked the sweat right off his chest. I don't know what it is about Dean's chest. <laughs> Dean's chest has like the, the, the best acoustics like of all time. <laughs> <laughs> the match starts to come to a head 
when Belmar slips out of a suplex attempt and hits a, I call it an inverted DDT suplex. While both men are down, Jacqueline comes down to the ring and attacks woman and just brutalizes her, just doesn't give her a chance to breathe. While this is happening, Jimmy Hart comes out and steals the US belt while Jacqueline just beats up woman and Belmar hits a flying headbutt for a two count. Eddie then shows up in a sling and cuts off Jimmy and tries to get him to put the US title back. In the meantime, <laughs> Dean suplexes Benoit to the outside from the apron and it looks mental. Why are they st- why are they doing all the high spots while everyone's going to be paying attention to the interferences? And um, what's what's even worse than that, Dave? The cameras. They missed it. <laughs> yeah. They don't even get it on camera. You just see the end of it. Yeah, they don't see the setup at all. But that's it. The camera was too busy looking at Dean. Like, as much as I can give out about the WCW cameras, it's just really bad match structure to have all these moves while the match is ending. This should be where you have some of your rest holds and some of your just suplexes and stuff. Arn comes out after this and brains Milanko from behind. Arn then just lets Sullivan walk past him on the, in the aisle for no reason. And he nails Benoit with a kendo stick. All this happens while the ref is watching. Dean attacks Sullivan to get him off the apron, and the ref calls for the bell, announcing Dean has won by DQ. So he saw Sullivan hit Dean first, I guess. He saw, sorry, Arn hitting yeah, Dean he, first. He calls for the bell when um, when he gets hit with the Singapore cane, I thought. Yeah, but Chris gets hit by the Singapore cane, so Chris would win by DQ. True. So I think they're calling Arn was the first one to get involved, I guess. It doesn't really matter... Title Thinking about it too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> title can't change up. with DQ. After this, they take the US title and kind of give it to Eddie and reluctantly drag Eddie to the back, patting him on the back and saying, you're the champion now, take it, Eddie. And that's real weird. I don't <laughs> I don't know why that happened. Dean kind of looks after Benoit and tells him, you know, he wasn't supposed to be there and helps Benoit after the match in a bit of a show of respect. But that might be some of the most run-ins I've ever seen. I, I watched a decent amount of Attitude Era wrestling. Yeah, this encapsulates WCW to the T. Five run-ins, not one makes sense at all. I, I can't tell you why Arn would be there and let Sullivan just walk by. That was the worst, because all of them make some sense in the wider story that we've seen so far. Why would Aaron let Sullivan... Why wouldn't Aaron just hit Sullivan? They hate each other. So, <laughs> I looked this up a little bit. There was supposed to be an angle that would start from this, but it never went anywhere. <laughs> so, that's about as as much as you need to know about that. <laughs> Right, and, and you, yeah, you're talking about the angle that somebody attacked Arn in the hospital or something? Uh, I'm not even sure about that part. It, 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 apparently, there was going to be a stable with Benoit and Dean and Eddie. Right, that's right. And it just never went anywhere. The original Radicals? Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, that makes some sense. So that, that comment about he wasn't supposed to be here is supposed to lead to some sort of mystery about what are they talking about and so right i almost forgot he said that this match is just a clusterfuck it's so weird (laughs) my last comment is just i I don't know why they have this on pay-per-view just have it on nitro it's just cheap to have like a 20 minute match i don't know how long it was it felt like a long match and then just all right cheap finish here you go it's very very disappointing considering the people involved yeah absolutely agree yeah still still to see a good match from chris uh benoit I thought his Jericho match was great. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. I thought, again, it was, it's just his same things. They don't have character. He's just this vicious guy that knows the same kind of moves, and he's brought them out in every match. 
Like, I've not been too impressed by Dean and Eddie either, but they've shown a variety of different things in storytelling. I think Chris is devoid of storytelling so far. Okay, that's fair. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you're just talking about Benoit in general. Yeah, I guess he gets better in his later career. Like, a bit after the Radicals, he gets quite good at that kind of stuff. But maybe I just always had rose-tinted glasses, and it just it did take him a while to get good at that. Lately, he has he has introduced the, the crossface into his repertoire, so maybe that will change things. Yeah, he is also one of the guys on the card, and there's a couple of them without a finisher, which I've I've never been part of wrestling where people don't have very distinct finishers because that's a very WWF thing to have. So in, in contrast, we I, I couldn't really tell you what Chris finishes matches with because they're always screwy finishes or roll-ups where we all know what DDP does as a finisher. But again, we'll move on to maybe something slightly better or maybe even slightly more interesting. We get six matches of the night. We get Kevin Nash versus Rick Steiner for the tag team championships. Kevin is the uh, the tag champion, I guess. A hall nowhere to be found, and it's referenced multiple times that people just don't know where he is at the moment. Nash comes out with six, DiBiase and Nick Patrick. Patrick looking excellent in his heel-style, sleeveless ref shirt, complete with one white finger glove. Looking perfect. Now, as much as I love Nick Patrick, why is he the ref? That doesn't make any sense. Why would WCW sanction this? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, they tried to make an excuse for it in commentary where, like, when you're the champion, you can call the shots. That's not how, that's not how championships work. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not just that. It's the whole story that we've been telling because, you know, Bischoff is supposed to be suspended and WCW is supposed to be kind of gaining momentum here. We, we're starting to call the shots now. No, Patrick's the referee. Yeah, okay. Randomly. Rick Steiner, of course, out barking. With music we haven't heard for a while, we were talking about this since Hogwild, maybe? Steinerized. Everyone gets Steinerized. I never actually heard the lyrics because I was too busy thinking of other things in Hogwild and the sound wasn't fantastic. But I looked up this song, and if you haven't, you should yourself. For some reason, the Steiners are the only WCW members with like lyrics to their music. It's always weird to hear all these like different entrance themes because... Some of them, they're just so lazy to update certain music because this one definitely sounds like 80s. You know, mim, 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 I thought for a second it was the Safe by the Bell team. Just for a second. I can see Rick Steiner in talking to Zach Morris now, yeah. Biting his face. Yeah. I actually do like their theme, though. Yeah, for sure. It's weird. It's kooky, but it's, like, memorable. Straight off the bat, we get Kevin Nash with some of his elbows and knees into the corner. I think Kev does these pretty well, as much as I can uh, be a hater of his sometimes. We get Rick building ahead of steam after this, crowd loving it, and hits his clotheslines and suplexes. I think his suplexes look a tad sloppy, but I don't think it's his fault. Kev is just so much bigger than Rick, and I keep forgetting that. When Rick is starting to look good in the head in the match, we get Six pulling down the top rope, and we start to get NWO shenanigans. Six laying in some boots on the outside while Patrick talks to Nash and Ted DiBiase getting in a couple shots as well. Very early on in the match, we get Kev hitting a jackknife in the middle of the ring, but Rick kicks out. And I think Patrick does a really good job of selling amazement because they were being a bit nonchalant about the pin before this. It's kind of weird to have somebody kick out of that finisher. It is. I actually kind of like it because it happens so early in the match and the NWO are coming off as so arrogant it makes Rick instantly the underdog. It makes Rick instantly uh, a babyface worth cheering for. And he's rootless and he's tough. And I kind of liked it. 
Yeah, sure. I, I actually like it for that reasoning too. It's weird in the context of the era that we're in because this is the era, or at least WCW, it's like if you hit a finisher, the match is over type of thing. Or like something has to happen for them to kick out and that was just like a clean... Yeah, as we'll see later. Yeah, Jackknife has been very protected as well up until this point. Yeah, I was very surprised. Straight after this, Kev goes for another jackknife, but Rick just low blows him, and Nick Patrick does nothing. He sees it, he just kind of reprimands Rick, and that's it. Rick then hits one of his own finishers with a diving bulldog, but only gets a two count. Commentary commentary complained that it's very slow, but it was just a normal count. So both both men exchanging early finishers and two kickouts. I think at this point, Bobby says the Steiners got jobbed out again. Very rare do you hear the commentators say wrestling lingo like that yeah let let it slip every now and again six is up on the apron for some interference again for a spinning heel kick but rick no sells it and just clocks him this lets nash recover though after a bit of a stint of rick in charge six tries to cut off the turnbuckle pad at this point in the match but takes forever and nash does his best to stall eventually dibiase has to come up and help six remove the turnbuckle pad i'm so incredibly awkward and they kept the camera on them for so long. I don't know why Nash just doesn't hit a, a power slam or something. Just do something. Choke him in the corner with your boot or something. Don't just look at him and chat to Nick Patrick. That requires <laughs> effort, though. It <laughs> does require effort. I, why are so many of these guys bad at changing stuff on the fly? I thought old school wrestlers were supposed to be good at that. It's because that's a bit of a myth, Dave, to be honest. Yeah, they just thought they were. Oh, I'll call the match by myself. Please don't. Please don't call the match <laughs> on the fly. Nash then hits the snake eyes onto Rick onto the exposed steel, picks him up and does it again. At this stage, DiBiase has had enough and says so, getting up on the apron. Nash yells in his face that he'll say when it's enough. I will say that Rick does a great job bumping with these. He just takes the face. He just takes the full face in the turnbuckle. It looks pretty real. uh, Very stiff bumps. Yeah, very sympathetic baby face bumps. They look brutal. DiBiase walks out as Kev shouts at him. And hits another snake eyes. Kev then finishes by hitting another jackknife powerbomb. But Nick Patrick hesitates. And Kev has to pull him down and demand the tree count. So we get another... He yells at him. Yeah. Kev's loud. You can hear it loud and clear when he shouts. Not the greatest match. Not a lot to say about it. I think Rick is fine. Kev is fine. But I like the storyline it's telling. And the dissension in the ranks. The bit of the the Ted getting fed up with him is kind of interesting. But so much of this is really really weak they make rick look awful like he looks like a complete mope in this match and that he's on a completely different level to kevin how can they how can rick ever win this match they set it out very quickly that like the guys on the outside can interfere and there's two of them and even worse the referee is basically on their side so i don't really know how rick is ever meant to build up any sort of steam in this match without making somebody look like a fool so they just go instead with Kev ruining him, and he looks like a complete dork again. I agree with you, and it would have been very nice if Rick had got like a two count and the ref had refused to count a three. Or like the second time they hit the snake eyes into the turnbuckle, maybe all of a sudden Rick clotheslines him and looks like he's going to make a comeback before dying. But yeah, there was like a lot of chances for Rick to get his shine on, and they didn't give it to him. There's just little things that could have made Rick look look a lot better and save face and wouldn't have made Kev or the NWO look bad and they chose not to. It's kind of weird. They really could have done other things with this match. The whole tag division is just, it's really in a sad state of affairs. 
I, I don't like it when the tag division is just like, oh, two top guys that need to be involved in like main story matches, like an uncensored. So it's like sometimes we just don't even have like storyline tag matches anymore. And I think that really stifles the development, not just like the whole the division, but just of like WCW's problem with developing new stars. Because it's like we've seen in history, it's a great time to develop guys like Booker T, for example, to improve into like a main singles guy. Other guys are not meant to be singles guys, so you just need that. You need some room for them to be tag teams. So I, I feel like we've just been kind of floundering with outsiders, Steiners. We've been feuding since January, and this is going to continue for a long time. Considering how good we thought the tag team division was going in, it, it is looking weak now. I was very surprised actually by the outcome of this match because Hall is in rehab as mm. well. I thought that, I thought they might have let Rick win against all odds, make the Steiners look great. Or I thought like. I thought uh, Scott was going to run in with cuffs on, just out of jail and interfere and finally get their big win because that's kind of what this feud was heading for. But instead they keep it with someone and maybe they knew, maybe Scott, they knew Scott was going to be back or whatever, but it seems a bit risky. See, I agree. There's a lot of different things that would have been way better than this finish. I I think it was pretty average. I I thought it was fine with what they were working with, but yeah, eh, not not my favorite. Could have been done a lot better. That's for sure. We get Gene backstage with Lex and Giant again. Giant says that this is all part of Hogan's plan to try and divide brothers and friends and that he is a real friend in Lex. He says it won't work because they understand that one of them needs to win, that they might need to beat each other. My God, the faces are using their brain. They've broken (laughs) wrestling. (laughs) And then we get a pretty typical kind of Lex saying WCW is sick of NWO and it's time to go for the gold and bring prestige back to WCW. And I think fine promo by both men. Hmm. I actually thought this was pretty lame. Yeah, I, I, super I, white bread. Yeah, when you talk about old school, this feels very old school type of promos. And just Giant, he just it really shows that he hasn't had any improvement since we started this. And the, the chemistry between these two just hasn't been great. Because you, th- you think Luger as the veteran would help Giant improve. That has not been the case. Yeah, I thought so too. I think Lex is just too stiff. You can't really rift off him. Like, if anything, Giant is giving better promos than him at the moment, and that's it's not a good place to be. No, and part of the chemistry I'm talking about is just in the ring too. Some of their matches have been really lackluster and really awkward. But in general, yeah, I wasn't a fan of this promo. I thought it was super forgettable. But it, to be fair, it's just like they're putting them in the spot that's like, well, what do we talk about? We kind of hate the Harlem Heat. Not really. What, what, what do we talk about? Yeah, they kind of booked themselves in the corner a little bit with this one. Four corners, if you will. Four uh, corners. If you will. Hey, just don't have the promo. It's fine. Yeah, they, they, there are also a couple too many promos on this card. Seventh match of the night. Lex Luthor versus a Giant versus Booker T versus Stevie Ray. Four corner match to determine the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. And this match is a little weird because it's basically a tag team match with a bit of a weird stipulation. I thought when they said four corners, it was literally going to be four-way, but it's not. It is two men in the ring and you can tag anyone you want. Yeah, you'd think it'd be that match, but no, let's be more convoluted. If you ran a wrestling organization and, you know, Luger and Giant makes sense being, being the match. Would you select Harlem Heat? Not, not, no, no disrespect to Booker and Stevie. I love those guys. But that it just seems a little weird to pick those two guys for this match. It is very much, you can tell, either Lex or Giant is winning. And they needed two guys to quote-unquote job that would put on a good match. Yeah. So they picked two over heels. Like, okay, well, we the Steiners can't be in it because they're booked. Uh, the Horsemen are doing their thing. Though the, Some Horsemen would have made a lot more sense if Chris Benoit was in this match. But we, you know, we talked about him. He couldn't be. So just... 
it seemed like they're like, we don't know who else to put in this match. We don't want it just to be Lex versus Giant. So Harlem Heat? This is not the nasty boys. Nasty uh, <laughs> boys. Why not put some NWO guys in there? NWO guys. You can put Dean, Chris. I mean, maybe maybe not that, but Piper for some reason is just nowhere to be found in the show, which is mm. fine. D- don't get me wrong. Love it. I'm loving it. Yeah, Piper not in this match makes no sense with the way it was billed. They're still sitting on Sting, but this seems like it would have been a nice match for Sting's comeback. But I get that does work out well in the future, but it is weird not to have him here. You want to give them something to run through. And I thought NWO members might just... Any NWO members might be right. But yeah, it's weird. I, I, you just need to get your big faces on the card as well, right? And we, we'd be complaining if Harlem Heat wasn't on the card somewhere. Like, I'd rather they just run with Lex and the Giant. <laughs> yeah, it is right. weird that it isn't just that. Yeah, because I think what the story here, too, is... WCW, they want to book a match that's favorable. Oh, okay. One of our guys is going to face Hogan. So this is how we're going to, we're going to do it. Like I said, it's just weird that like, we're going to put this tag team that aren't really singles wrestlers into this kind of singles match. There's just a disconnect there that it just doesn't feel like it's the right time to do it for them. Agree. We get heat coming out with Sherry to their entrance music. So in case you had any doubts that this was basically an overglorified tag team match, wrestlers coming out together and any chance that Luger and Giant come out separately not at all they come out together to some sprinkler firework kind of effect and they come out to lex's music right so giant we don't know giant's music at the moment pretty simple match we start off with lex and booker and i'm always impressed with lex's military presses as much as we make fun of them for other things they always look super clean the guy's an absolute horse booker makes it look amazing as well booker sells extremely well through this whole match Oh yeah, I think I think he shined the most in this match. Just his heel work, shouting at the fans immediately. That that type of stuff. His offense looked great. So obviously they're booked in as heels in this match because their the promos are very we're demanding respect and they're trying trying to break out as single stars here. Going back to their heel stick, even though they've been kind of been building up his faces over the past month or past like few months, I should say. We get some heel work from Harlem Heat early. A poke to the eye. By Booker on Lex, we get Stevie coming in, trying to act heelish, but getting clobbered by Giant when he gets too close. And they get the ring cleared, both of them uh, stand tall. This leads to a standoff between Stevie and Giant. It was alluded to earlier that Stevie would take care of the Giant. uh, And Giant, of course, makes easy enough work of Stevie Ray. When he's sent to the outside, Booker is also sent after him. And Harlem Heat have an argument that needs to be broken up by Sherry. Starting to get a bit of a team to the match where there's going to be a bit of squabbling between the heels. Stevie and Giant go to face off again to the crowd's very big reaction. But the smart heels tag in Luger and we get Luger and Giant standoff. Not much happens between them. An attempted slam by Luger ends in Giant landing on top of him. And then both men quickly tag in Harlem Heat. This is all so dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's the only spot that was ever going to be done in this match. The minute it was tag team, like, well, both of them are going to be stuck in the ring together. After a bit of arguing and pushing, they tie up, they run the ropes, but then they celebrate and basically high five after their good work of running the ropes. And Booker tags in Luger. (laughs) Got him. And Booker (laughs) tags in Luger to resume the normal tag team match. Well, yeah, this is an 18 minute match. And honestly, I have about two minutes of material written here because after they do the tag team, might face each other's shenanigans. Very paint by numbers kind of tag team match where Harlem Heat look fine and do their normal stuff. Lex and Giant are somehow the underdogs, even though they can bench press a house each. And uh, we get the hot tag by Giant, which is bad. He clears house. He clears Booker out. Signals for the choke slam, 
but instead tags in Luger and lets him get to uh, rack on Stevie Ray for the finish. I do kind of like the finish. I kind of like Giant. You know, he was in the NWO. He has to warm himself back up to the crowd. Lex is now his mentor. I do like the storytelling of, you deserve the shot, Lex. You haven't had the, a shot in a while, and I have. So I don't mind that finish. I hate that finish. <laughs> you hate it? I knew you were going to hate, hate it. it. I knew you were going to hate it. I absolutely hate it. I hate this match, but with mm-hmm. the way it's laid out. Like, I've, I don't really have a problem with their wrestling. The wrestling is fine. It's yeah. just an insult to people's intelligence, <laughs> I think. It doesn't make any sense to me why Booker or Stevie wouldn't just let themselves get pinned when they're in in the ring. Like, if they're a tag team, they've surely figured out, God, okay, so Stevie's going to get the title shot. So if we get in together at the same time, let's just tag, let's just pin each other. The Giant's just an idiot for, like, giving up his shot. Like, he full-on just, like, ruins Mm. them. And he's like, oh, you can have it instead. (laughs) I actually agree with Dave. I actually kind of, I'm okay with this. Because it reminds me of like when teams win the Stanley Cup in hockey. It's you pat the captain passes the cup to the first to the veteran that hasn't won the cup yet. Sure. I mean, you have to think about it. Luger, of course, has won the championship, but this is like way back in '91. And Giant had like two recent title reigns with the belt in like '95, '96, I think. It feels like Luger deserves the nod right now. I mean, that's my best explanation of, of this whole thing. So I'm okay with it. Gus, you're completely right. This match is just, it's a mess. As, as a like, kind of like main event for number one contenders match, it's like, it feels like they should have had something for these guys. And it just felt like the match kind of fell flat. Straight up, if they've just said it was a tag match, it would have been, would have worked so much better. Just have a regular tag match with the weird stipulation of the guy who gets the pin is the number one contender. That's that's more than enough. That that is just something that's definitely been done before. Like that's not a new concept. We haven't broken the wheel. That is a match that has happened. So yeah, it, it is kind of weird, and it, it kind of seems like they reached because they didn't know what else to do. But as I said, I'm fine with the logic at the end of the match. But I I completely agree with all your other points. Because we we had a video package for Slambery briefly. It's just the commentators sitting down in chairs and asking which leader is going to step up for WCW and take on the NWO. Kind of normal stuff and fine video package for Slambury. Nothing much to comment on. I thought it was really weak. (laughs) You thought it was weak? Yeah. That was stupid. I wanted something cool and weird like they normally do. And instead they had just had people talking and it was a bit shite, to be honest. Fair, fair. I thought, I guess average. I guess I've lowered my yeah. my tolerance a lot. I'm like, Your tolerance levels bad, have gotten really low since watching these shows. Yeah, if, if it's not bad, it's good, essentially. That's uh, my view of things nowadays, uh, and this wasn't bad. I mean, we don't have the horsemen on, like, in the Western setting, so I'm, I'm kind of mad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. great. Man, nobody came in on a horse. I'm really disappointed, actually. <laughs> the horsemen, Yeah. NWO music hits and we see Macho Man walking out of his dressing room with Elizabeth. He tells her that after he wins, they're going to have a party with 15 plus women and everyone's going to have Slim Jims. Oh, Macho, such an idealist. And and Liz is okay with it too. Yeah, he did not just say Slim Jims, let's be honest. (laughs) Macho takes a very long time to come out. Well, he said which way to the ring, so he he, he was lost, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. After we get Macho finally to the ring, because he just saunters down and takes up the majority of this match, I would say, Gene is backstage with DDP to cut a promo with Kimberly? You know, Gino, sometimes in life, a man's got to stand up for what really matters, or else you're just passing through. Savage, you stepped into my real world, and you found out what really matters to me. By doing it, when you did it, 
you stepped over the line. So tonight, you're mine. All right, Kimberly, the wife, you're going to be in your husband's corner tonight, and you know what this is all about if anybody does. Yeah, Gene, everybody's been talking about how this is the most important match in Paige's life and that the odds are stacked against him. Well, all I've been hearing at home is about how he's going to get Randy Savage for what he did to me. Now, normally, I like him to keep a positive attitude about everything, but rage is a powerful emotion. And in this case, I think I'm just going to let it ride. Oh, 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 I like that. His rage is going to even the odds. Mostly we get Kimberly talking in this promo, which is different to Pace. And we get her talking about uh, her telling uh, us that DDP is normally very calm. But the difference maker tonight is going to be rage and she wants him to unleash his rage. I kind of like the idea of the promo, but Kimberly was fine, but a little shaky. What do you guys think? Well, I thought she started off great. I wasn't expected to to talk really. And I thought she was okay on the mic until her final word because she should have she should have ended the promo with I think I'm just gonna let it ride. And even Jean thought, all right, that's the end of the promo. And then she grabs the mic like, no, I have DDP told me to say one more thing, so I'm gonna say it and I'm gonna say it really awkwardly. And that definitely ruined the promo. But I thought before that it was fine. Yeah, DDP looked very focused as well. I think Macho and him have done a very good job of making this feud feel feel important. Yeah, I thought it was grand, just fine. Just shouldn't have been when it was. Why is it now? <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. I really don't understand. Why are you doing a promo after one of the competitors is now in the ring? <laughs> and of course, onto our main event, what we've all been waiting for. DDP versus Randy Savage in a blood feud, no DQ match. This feud has been building up for a while. It's, a, of course, a continuation from what we saw on in Uncensored and kind of the attack on Kimberly and DDP by Macho and Elizabeth there. But it started a bit before that and... DDP's general feud with the NWO, him going alone, him saying no to them all the time, and it's kind of uh, culminated in this. We have a kind of overarching team of Savage being the icon, the bigger-than-life personality, and who does DDP think he is? It's hammered home a bunch of times that no one thought DDP was going to succeed in wrestling, and he's there. He's very much a sympathetic babyface going into this. We said earlier in the cast we had Prince Iokea in the main event of a Nitro. Surprise, surprise. Defending the TV title against Savage. And DDP gets involved in that, but gets the zero spray painted on him. There's a lot of Attitude Era style calling out and calling of names and getting super personal and a little gritty to the extent of a little bit of like cringe wordiness. Uh, DDP has even gone as far as calling Liz a bimbo and a tramp on the build up to this even though he is the sympathetic baby face. So I think this is one of my favorite feuds going in so far. The build-up feels real. It feels personal. As much as some of it is cringy, I really like Savage's work on this, and I think he's making DDP look really good and get really over with the fans. What do you guys think? I just love Savage as a heel. Yeah. I think the reason that we're enjoying this so much is that DDP is probably the one person over all the pay-per-views we've watched that has actively grown and progressed as a character and we've seen changes and we've seen him attempting to do something some of the other characters have been there and they've made good matches and they've had good promos or whatever but they've never really kicked on whereas ddp you can see they're like they actually trust him they want him to go further when we first saw him he was the battle ball champion and he was wrestling eddie like and now he's wrestling randy savage in the main event of a pay-per-view so it's it's a big difference and it's very cool. 
thing that we haven't had really before, too, is the build-up. Kind of something new kind of gets introduced every week as well. Because the other times, it's like, oh, the NWO, they just cut a promo. They'll just mention somebody, say too sweet, and leave. It, it's nothing really of developing a story at all. And it seems like they're trying to tell a story here, which is nice. It's it's trying to put somebody over, as we'll probably get into the legend st legendary story later on. There's a reason why this is such a famous match. Yeah, and it's... Uh... It's coherent and it's linear. So we have other people getting built up like, let's say, Sting. But because they're trying to keep mystique about him, there's no actual linear arcing storyline. This is DDP was a heel, but he was too cool to join the NWO. He kind of turned face because he was at the NWO. He stuck to his guns. When they got mad at him, Savage came after him. And it's a continuation of months of storyline that all makes sense and all makes DDP look great afterwards and makes the fans hate Randy even more. It's benefiting two people. It's a great storyline. I wish there was more of these on the card. So for DDP's entrance, we get Kimberly out first. A lot of pyro, a lot of hype. Fans are really happy to see him. He comes out looking all business. And Michael Buffer doing his only work of the evening because we get Penzer for the rest of the intros. Buffer is for this and he gives a very weird intro to DDP. Here's Kimberly, she's been in Playboy, and she's great. And here's DDP defending Kimberly and her honor. Just give me his stats. Just tell me how tall he is, how much he weighs, and that he's coming to the ring. That's all I need to know. That was, it's really weird, right? It is. I think Buffer's just used to, like, all right, how many times are they world champ? Oh, he's not world yeah, champ. Um, what do I say hmm. about this person? He has beautiful hair. He's very respectful to his mother, Diamond Dallas Page. It's it's kind of yeah he, he kind of just doesn't have enough to say it's kind of weird. also like the easiest job of the night he he has to introduce one person <laughs> sorry two people <laughs> he doesn't intro macho which is kind of weird but I think someone screwed up with the sequencing of the intros also if that wasn't you know not coherent enough right before the match starts macho grabs the mic and he tells DDP he thinks this is his big day but it's his last day on planet Earth. <laughs> Is Macho Man sending him to space? Macho's channeling some <laughs> peak Ultimate Warrior promo at that stage. Oh, yeah. Es essentially, that, that's what it is. Although I will say that Macho, he looks like he's in great shape for this. For for all the guys that we've seen and how old they are, I, I thought his work rate for this match was, was top-notch. Yeah, you can always tell with the Macho mat uh, matches at this stage that he's not what he used to be. Still in good shape, still knows how to work a match, does all the spots a lot cleaner and more precise than his friend Hogan, and just good. I was hoping to see some good macho matches at this like this kind of twilight of his career. A good example of that too. So Randy does the stalling on the outside, but it's not endless like Hogan stalling. It's also not over the top. He's not like waving away. It makes him actually look like a clever heel. He's like, oh, I'll make the, I'll make the face come out to me, which happens. DDP loses his temper, runs out, and Macho thinks he gets the upper hand, gets a few shots in, but DDP is too mad turns the table, starts throwing him against a bunch of different things, crowd absolutely eating up that Macho's getting his comeuppance. Weird botch though early in a match by DDP. Do you guys get this? He kind of lifts Macho up, almost drops him, and then puts him down. It was like a weird power bomb that I think looked like it was supposed to be reversed, but both men kind of sold it. It's one of the only blemishes in the match for me, but they just continued like DDP back body dropped him almost. Brawl is taken again to the outside, and we... uh we get a brawl into the crowd. Referee follows them and it's very snug. I didn't notice that many security guards pushing people out of the way like I'm used to. Get some hard trash can shots to the head. 
and they brawl back to the ring through the crowd. The trash cans were also full and just juice and stuff flowing out of them. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could tell they were uh, they were shoot cans because, yeah, the pop, they're just sliding all over the place. Macho grabs Kimberly, which distracts TDP enough for Elizabeth to interfere and let Macho get some shots in. Macho hits an axe handle from the top turnbuckle to the outside onto the handrail, and I thought that looked pretty sick. And again, for a man of Macho's age at this stage, pretty impressive. One of my favorite bits of the match, and it reminds me a lot of New Japan throwing the boys out of the way to get weapons. Macho takes uh, Buffer's chair, tells him to get out of his chair, <laughs> takes the chair, snatches it off him, and then hits DDP with the chair, rolls back out, and then roughs off Penzer to get his chair. He asked Buffer to move, but he had to rough off Penzer to get his chair. When he gets back in the ring, gets his comeuppance, DDP throws the chair in his face, and uh, hits him to get a bit of a comeback going. That was a weak, weak chair spot, I have to say. <laughs> it was. A, it was. It was worth it for the Penzer uh, yeah. spot. And Bobby, in response to the, uh, the the slapping of David Penzer, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Just get out of his way. At, at first, when DDP tosses the chair at Randy, I was like, Van Damenator, is it coming? <laughs> yeah. Diamond cutter with the chair. Just, out of nowhere. Just pushes him. Yeah, it was a lame spot. Yeah. I like the build up to it, but the execution, I think a couple times you could tell DDP was a little nerv- nervous, which is understandable. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Why don't people just get up? If the wrestler's like, give me your chair, why not just go, yeah, okay, cheers. Well, he had the headset on, so it was kind of like, oh, I'm wrapped in here, so you're really you're really going to like yeah. throw me out? Please, please don't do this? Oh, okay. So I actually don't really like all this walk and brawl stuff, but I thought they kept it short. At least they sold yeah. moves. And the third and most important thing that finally they, they have done is the commentary. They were not joking around. They were not laughing or anything for all these hardcore spots. Thank you. No, they're serious, and Macho's treating them as nasty and like degrading shots to... To DDPs putting them down. DDP, I think, is also selling really well, which of course makes him more sympathetic. Every time there's a comeback and Macho cuts it down, DDP is bumping real hard for just normal clotheslines and stuff like that. Macho out of the ring again, throws Penzer away again. Penzer just got back to his feet, throws him away. This time gets the ring bell, goes up top. Kimberly grabs the bell out of Macho's hand. He does not let that deter him. And goes for an elbow drop, which DDP gets his feet up for, missing the attempt. A diamond cutter is attempted, but spun out of. DDP tries for a backslide, but Macho hits him with a low blow. Macho, after that, attacks the ref. Because he's the heel, I guess. This It wasn't that coherent. And piled, pretty vicious looking pile driver for him. I was not expecting that. Yeah. No, I don't know. I thought he'd slap him around. It was a proper pile driver. And then just starts whipping him with his belt. At first, I thought he was, he was like, taking off his clothes. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> this, this is about to get real weird. taking a dark turn very quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, I guess he's just got a case of the madnesses going all of a sudden. He's like, oh, yeah. If I'm going to be healed, I'm going to be full-on crazy. He is destroying everything in his path. Savage goes up top and then hits the elbow drop on a prone page. But there's no referee because you've just pile-drived him right <laughs> into the canvas and whipped him. Nick Patrick, of course, comes running down to the ring and we see Nash on the stage with a big old smile. Macho tries for a scoop slam when Patrick hits the ring, but DDP slips out and hits a diamond cutter. Patrick thinks about it for a while, but counts the three when DDP covers. DDP wins Kimberly's honor, I guess was on the line. He wins the blood feud and the NWO do not like it. Nash gets down to the ring, grabs Patrick and checks on Macho 
Bischoff is there, apparently, and he brings all the NWO plebs down to the ring. All the no-names that we forgot were in the NWO already down to the ring, and also Buff Bagwell. <laughs> you make it sound like Buff Bagwell's even worse than them somehow. <laughs> he is both worse and better. All right, right. At the same time, I don't know yeah, how it's sure, possible. Sure, sure. <laughs> Crowd chanting hard for Sting at this stage as Kev hits a jackknife on Nick Patrick who sells it pretty well. Macho kicks DDP out of the ring, but grabs Kimberly. Eric stops him from hitting Kimberly, but then Macho turns on Bischoff, and we end the show with the NWO breaking up the fight between Macho and Bischoff. I thought it was kind of weird that Randy and Kimberly, they look up to the rafters. It was kind of like there's, oh, Sting's going to come down or something. Yeah. It was just a weird thing. Happens. The crowd's calling for him, too. <laughs> yeah, it never happens. I like it. I like the thought that Sting can be anywhere. You gotta keep you gotta keep that kind of fear in people. I would do it in the middle of my matches if I was in that era of WCW. <laughs> that would be look great. Up like, oh, I know you're up there, you you bastard. Oh man, yeah, it would work except for the fact that you'd be the jobber on the card and everybody'd be like, why does he keep looking up like? This? <laughs> <laughs> hey, jobbers win all the time. How many wins do Public Enemy have? That's like the second or third Public Enemy win we've. We've had on a card. They win a lot more than you think. <laughs> yeah, they do. To go back though to the actual match before we get the the ending and all that it is, it's a it's a good match. I think Randy protects himself quite well. He is obviously older and he's not capable of doing certain types of matches by now, so he hides it quite well with like brawling and chairs and stuff like that. So I think you get a really really good match out of an older. Randy Savage and a DDP who's kind of figuring it out as you go and it's a big win for him and it's very cool to see so I really like this match I, I get why it's no DQ in order to protect Randy but at the same time it it kind of makes it a bit stupid like the NWO c- could and should interfere if they care about Randy as a as their partner but that's a small minor thing I think it is as good as a match as it could have been I think DDP makes one or two mistakes and he's kind of noticeably nervous and that's fair. He's like a big fan of Macho and Macho's kind of passing the torch a little bit to DDP and this is his big rub. So it didn't come off too bad. I think Gus, you're right on. We can't expect more off Macho at the stage. He's protecting himself. I love him just beating up the plebs. Just pure heel move. Get the heat going. It's better than rest holds in a hardcore match. It fit him perfectly. I was afraid they'd like overdo the Kimberly stuff and she'd get grabbed like all the time and be the damsel in distress, but they only went to the well once on it and I really liked that as well. This match was great. It felt like a big deal and I, I think it flowed nicely. It's just like the brawl, the brawl went nicely. Yeah, not a lot of rust holes, just simple moves. Even Randy took some risks. I mean, he did like a axe handle from the top to the outside early in the match and what i think i like about this match the most is it left us with questions about the nwo so it's like a great teaser into nitro and that's like really what obviously wcw like well we're more focused on nitro so this is a good way this is how you should use pay-per-views a, a way to tease hey you should watch tomorrow ultimately this is something that wcw didn't do enough the whole time in years after this that we'll talk about they did something new you know, this feud is fresh. They're building a new star. It's the old veteran passing the torch, as Dave said. So this is all just great stuff that oh, we have to enjoy it while it lasts, man. I, I wonder why, because a certain person is missing. So We haven't touched on it much, but it's refreshing not to have Hogan or Piper on a pay-per-view. They re- I know they're draws. Well, I don't think Piper's a draw. I know Hogan's a draw. 
at the time. He's a huge name. You want him associated with the company. But man, he brings down everyone around him at this stage. And this is perfect. Like Savage is the just a professional. He wants to put the young guys over. You know, there's a big story of why Savage jumped ship. And one of the reasons was he wanted to put young guys over. He wanted to have Sean at Mania and have Sean go over. He wanted to work with a couple other people. And Vince said, no, they only wanted younger wrestlers to wrestle. And then that Mania had Hogan go over mm-hmm. <laughs> Brett and Yokozuna. Mm. So it's... <laughs> so I, I love to see Randy be able to do this. And he makes DDP look great, I think. This was like... DDP's first big push and show of fate in him and that he'd been working well and a lot of guys were behind him and he gets to work on the road with Macho and the road matches they were doing he was just losing all the time and then one night Arn comes in because Arn was I think it was Arn was road aging for them and they're just like so what do you want the finish to be tonight they look over at Macho because DDP helps plan it but it is Macho that's doing all the planning for the matches and DDP is just helping and Macho goes, mm, yeah, I think I want to take the diamond cutter tonight. And DDP is like almost in tears. He's just so happy that he gets to win. And apparently that's what, I don't know if that's the pay-per-view match or what transforms into pay-per-view match. But again, Macho Man on the road with this young guy, taking the wins when he can, building it up, and then at the opportune time, letting DDP win when it means the most. Yeah, it's a legendary story. It's really cool. Because I've heard the story years years ago and he told it on interviews and in this hall of fame speech as well so just really cool to see how it played out it's refreshing because i don't want to harp on too much about it there's a lot of guys in this company now that don't do good business they do good (laughs) business for themselves but they don't do what's good for the next generation or their company or and we could go into large conversations about how that is a huge detriment to wcw in the future but savage even though he's making a lot of money in a big contract knows how to do business and knows what to do what's best for a locker room and that's what happens here and this this feud is not over too they will have more matches down the line as well more most notably though uh randy is actually hurt after this match so he's out of action for a few months oh geez it's kind of cool though because the nitro after that but like you know he has a he has a cast on his leg ddp has like ice on his shoulder so it was really cool if you didn't see the pay-per-view it was like whoa these guys had a war so th- that was a really cool aspect. Even though it was by accident, it was it was really cool. I'll have to catch the next pay-per-view kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the storyline of the NWO kind of imploding. One of the reasons I like the Kevin Nash match and, you know, him grabbing Nick Patrick and Nick Patrick starting to show conscience. Yeah, it's kind of out of nowhere, but it feeds into a finish I enjoy in this DDP match. Did you guys enjoy the finish as well? Yeah, like I, I did. It was nice to get some kind of progression because for the last like six months we've essentially had the same finish every single pay-per-view. NWO overcomes, makes everybody look stupid. And now you have just something where it's like, oh, it's not all quite so grass is greener on the other side, I suppose, for the NWO. Now, obviously, they've earmarked one particular person to kind of stand up against them within it with, with Nash obviously wanting the spotlight. But I thought he posed some good questions. You have a reason to watch Nitro, as Connor said, and it could go in some different ways and it could be really, really cool. And it's not just the same thing over and over. And this whole pay-per-view, you can kind of say, oh, we don't have Sting, we don't have Flair, we don't have Hogan. It's like, oh, we need these big stars. I don't think you need the big stars. I I think some of these pay-per-views are too bloated and we need every pay-per-view to be this grand thing. No, we have 12 of these pay-per-views. One of them can be a kind of down show 
And you can kind of say this is a down show, but it's still an enjoyable show. You don't need to shove all your talent into one show. You, you could save that for your big pay-per-views. So I, I very much enjoyed the way they established the positioning on this card. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really old school, right? Like NWA old, like we're only going to bring out the talent for the big shows, the big, big shows. And we're just going to talk about them and allude to them and build up young guys to go face them in the meantime. And I don't mind it. It's not only because I hate Hogan with a passion. I just think you're spot on, Connor, and you can just do it every now and again. We ask this question at the end of every podcast. Connor, one, what did you think of the pay-per-view as a whole? And two, at the end of it, whose side are you on? Well, decent show overall. Dragon Rabe, great match. Finally, uh, a good main event as well with uh, competent wrestling and storytelling, which is, <laughs> you think we'd, there'd be some of that, but no, this is probably our first example of that. I mean, maybe the Bash of the Beach, you can kind of uh, have some of that, but this one is probably up there for one of my favorite shows. I definitely really much enjoyed it. It was an easy watch. As for whose side I'm on, no Rodman, so I'm going with WCW. DDP was great. Randy may have carried him there, but DDP still earns the credit for the match. Go same questions to you. What did you think of the pay-per-view overall? And whose side are you on now? Yeah, I thought it was a decent enough show. Like Connor said, the opener and, and the main event delivered. That's two really decent matches, which is more than you can say for uh, a lot of places, a lot of pay-per-views we've watched. Some wonky bits in the middle, but it has also probably the most famous pre- uh, pay-per-view promo of all time. So that kind of holds it together too. So I think it, overall <laughs> it's a decent one. Uh, it's you can watch this show and not get too bored so it's a definite thumbs up i think and it has to be ddp for whose side are you on so i guess by proxy it's wcw but really it's ddp yeah enjoyable show i think it's probably in the top two or three we've done so far and as far as whose side i'm on harlem heats i'm on harlem heat side this week (laughs) best promo in professional wrestling that's us for another edition of the WCW versus NWO podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're mainly posting on Twitter where you can find more polls like the one we mentioned at the start of the episode. Connor, where else can they find us? Find us on Instagram where I post a lot of different GIFs and uh, sweet WCW pictures. Also, Facebook, I don't really post that much on there, but uh, both of those, WCW versus NWO podcast. We also have a Vimeo page where we post special bonus video episodes. Also, couple highlights from the cast i'm hoping to get more videos on there for the future that's also wcw versus nwo podcast that's all from us for this episode thank you for listening and join us again next time where we are big mean and green (laughs) 